Welcome into the program. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, July 7th, and released to you on Thursday, July 8th. A lot of stuff to talk about. Haven't had a show with you since March, and so there has been Dayton Flyers news. And so the last part of the show actually is going to be dedicated to recruiting and roster updates for all you diehards. First part of the show, I want to talk about the pressing news uh, of the times right now, which is the NIL bill, the name, image, and likeness bill, which has kind of changed the landscape uh, of NCAA sports for the foreseeable future. Uh, Due to scheduling conflicts, Joey Gruden was not able to join the program, but we hope to have him next week. New episodes every Thursday, and the first one starts right now. You're listening to Talking Out Loud, still the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among all Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Welcome back to Talking Out Loud, the number one Dayton basketball podcast on the internet, airwaves or otherwise. I'm your host, Sully, coming to you after a long, long hiatus, but I'm back in the saddle and it is absolutely great to be with you. I'm fired up to be back uh, recording again. Took a lot of time off and I have uh, my podcasting confidant with me. He goes by Blackburn. Blackburn, I think you know as well as anybody that I needed to take time off after the last Dayton season that we saw. Yeah, I didn't want to see you burn out, man. I was. I wanted to see you fade away a little. You know? And you you knew that I was burned out a little bit from watching that 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 season. It was terrible. Well, yeah, I mean, now you know what it was like for, for Donnie and I the first, like, seven years <laughs> watching the Gregory teams. Like, yeah, yeah. You just, you just got to throw your hands up in April and you're just like, I don't even want to think about Dayton basketball until, you know, October. That's exactly what it was. And, you know, doing this for as long as I have, we have, you know how you like you get people who know stuff about Dayton basketball and they like want to talk to you about it. Right. And generally speaking, that's what I want to do, too. Like, I want to talk Dayton hoops. But there's a distinct period between like April and like the 4th of July when I want like nothing to do with Dayton hoops. I don't want to talk about it. I don't get into recruiting. It's kind of just like, ugh. it's like being at work and then talking about work after you leave work. It kind of feels like that, you know? Yeah. And then also you, cause we've done in the beginning, we did podcast during the summer and, and post during the summer and nothing feels more forced than that. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're talking about movie rankings and yeah. it's just like, you're just trying to come up with ideas to do anything because Look, at the end of the day, it's mid-major basketball. It's not like we're following Alabama football. You know what I mean? So it's like you're kind of – and I think the fans kind of appreciate it. It's like, all right, it's it's time for everybody to kind of do their own thing. We'll see you in October and uh, have a good summer. Somebody in April 
said to me on Twitter, predict the starting lineup for next season. I was like, F off, dude. I was like, we just lost in the NIT to Memphis. F off. You know, I was yeah. like, I was so done with it. Um, I, I would have been like, I can't even name five guys on the roster right now. <laughs> Um, so that brings me to the agenda for the show. We got a jam packed show tonight. Um, and I say jam packed because we kind of had to like not trim segments down, but you know, we had to kind of cut some conversation short so we can fit it in the hour ish timeframe that we like to uh, settle our episodes. But, um, First segment tonight, uh, we brought on a UD student who was very familiar with the NIL legislation. I'll tell the uh, story here of the NIL uh, legislation that came down for college athletics and kind of what the impact is for Dayton and you know what we're going to see in the coming weeks, months, years here. And then on the back half of the show, last part of the hour, uh, I brought on my buddies Jeff and Durs to do a little roster recap. Uh, you know, who's joined the transfers that have come in. And then uh, we talked about a little bit of recruiting, you know, flyers don't have any scholarships left. We got a full squad. So if you're listening to this show right now and you're like, I don't know who any of the guys are on the team. Well, rest assured the roster's not listed on the site yet, but we got 13 dudes. We got a full team. The first time we've had uh, a full list of scholarships in the AG era, which we'll get to uh, later in the show. But um Blackburn, another thing I'm going to get to later in the show. The guy we got from Georgia is legit. He's like legit. Oh, Kamara? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I, was, I had no idea. I, when, because like, uh, you know, I, I kind of watched, I watched Georgia basketball um, for reasons unknown. But <laughs> when I, when he went into the portal, I remember thinking like that guy is, a, he's going to be a sneaky good pickup for a high major program. Like yeah. I figured the, the kid's a great athlete. Um, he can, he. He can do it all. I really can. And then look at I, us. Knew, I knew Dayton offered him out of high school. Yeah. But in my head, I'm thinking, nah, you know, you're not going to, he's probably not going to end up at Dayton. But then, you know, you saw Dayton's name kind of attached to him during the, the short recruiting process. And it, it, yeah, I was really pumped to see him, him sign with UD. And like, I think I tweeted it out, like he's going to lead the team this year in the most, oh shit moments, both good <laughs> and bad. Yeah. Like he is one of those guys where like he'll, he'll make a play. And you're like, Oh my God. Then he'll make a play. And you're like, Oh God. Like, yeah, like, oh, what is he doing? dude? <laughs> but he, he's, he's one of those guys, but yeah, I'm excited for him. He was a really kind of uh, under the radar pickup. I think a huge one for a school like, like Dayton. Yeah, for sure. So um, before we do get to the segments tonight, the, the first thing I wanted to do in the show was kind of set the tone for the season. Um, Blackburn, if you can believe it, it is the, is, is your 12th year, right? 12th year. You've been covering yeah. Dayton hoops. Covering. Yeah, since oh nine. I say with I say with little finger commenting on. Yeah, Comment. you, <laughs> opining on. Opining. Yeah, yes. you're the expert opiner on Dayton hoops for the twelfth yes. year running. I think it is oh. 09 was when you started. I was in school. I remember that. I would have a twelve year old son right now if I had a kid. The first year, that's <laughs> fucking creepy. Your, your podcast life is going into middle school right now. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think um, where I wanted to start tonight was kind of since this is really the first episode of the season, we're kind of kicking things off, and um, and you know we, we did take some time off. Like I thought it was was just um, refreshing, and I felt like it needed to be said that. Last year was a shit show. I mean, it, it really was like a shit show. The fact that Dayton, you know, had to deal with the COVID year like everybody else. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that it did impact our team more than other teams in the conference for pretty obvious reasons. We play in front of the biggest crowd in the biggest arena. And the um, best fans. The best fans. Um, it, I can't use that as an excuse because everybody was playing under the same circumstances. But 
I will say this now that it's all in hindsight is that, and I'll use him specifically, Jalen Crusher was never really able to get over what happened the year before and their season being canceled. As fans, we like to think that these guys are all just like so mentally strong and they'll just play the next play or they're going to be at it again. But it is really hard to tangibly describe how much of an impact that had on guys like Ibby and Jalen who had to come back full well knowing their team wasn't as good or even really half as good. And, you know, you're expected to press on. And um, I think that's why it was such a rough year. And and for me personally, I think, uh, and, and you can jump in here, but I think for me personally, what was the worst was like, I wanted something to kind of cheer for again with the Flyers. Like I knew we weren't going to be as good, but I think how bad we were this past year was just so eye-opening. And unfortunately, it kind of made it feel for me like, oh, here we go. Like back to same old fucking Dayton, you know, like that's how it felt for a lot of the season was like, oh God, like we're not back to being the same program we were for the last 20 years, right? That's how I felt. I mean, I, I think we kind of addressed that at the beginning of last year too, where, you know, we, we were constantly, well, not us, but as a fan base, we were fixated on, on 2019 and Obi Toppin and everything. And I think the podcast we probably had this time last year was kind of saying, you know, this year it's going to be kind of a restart, um, recalibration, and it's going to be, and hopefully it was, it was an eye opener for a lot of the fans. Okay. You're f- fair, but you didn't think it was going to be eye opening, lose to Fordham eye opening. No, be honest. I, I did not, to be honest, I, I did not think it was a tournament team per se. I didn't see losses to St. Joe's and Fordham. And LaSalle. <laughs> and you LaSalle. forgot about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about LaSalle. Um, <laughs> At the, home. The Philly two step. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think. And, and, it, and it's, it, it is weird because the OB Toppin season, it, now it feels like five years ago. I mean, it feels oh, like God, distant no. memory, right? It's just yeah. like, so I think last year kind of had to happen for a number of reasons. One, we just had to get over the hump of the 2019 hangover. Yeah. Get over the fact that OB wasn't in the building anymore. And it's kind of, it was a more realistic portrait of what this program is probably going forward. You're going to have ups and downs. Um, I, I don't think we'll see another season like we did in 2019. But um, it's going to be more, it's going to be a roller coaster like it always was from, you know, kind of the BG days flowing into the Archie Miller days, now into the AG days. The, the program, for the most part, has been pretty stagnant and pretty consistent for the most part. Um, and I, I think you're going to see that again this year. I mean, I'm looking forward to your roster breakdown because off the top of my head, I can name like three guys, including coaches. So um, <laughs> it, this is this is truly going to be a restart this season because it, it feels like we're starting from scratch. Yeah, and um, you know, we, we will get to the roster breakdown at the end, and and Blackburn hasn't heard it yet, so you know he's gonna be hearing it at the same time as the rest of the audience. Um, but the one thing I will share, and um, you know, we had a couple of transfers. Obviously, Jalen Ibby left, and and then a coach was conveniently or politely shown the door, and I think that news kind of got it got UD'd. I like to say like. No news that comes from UD is ever like truthful, honest news. It always he gets cr- like he got criped. He's yeah, equivalent to getting criped. 
Correct. Anthony Solomon was told, um, hey, you know, you uh, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And so he ended up back at Notre Dame. And I couldn't believe how many people were just like, oh, yeah, he left UD to go to Notre Dame. Like the guy's already worked at Notre Dame. You don't go back to where you've worked like on your own accord. OK. And so, you know, I think that if it was up to him, he would have stayed. Anthony Grant decided you know, he wanted to go another way. Another thing that I think is I'm you know willing to put out there now and, and kind of keep an eye on is that a lot of people were really frustrated with the offense last year. And I was told that the majority of that was schemed by Brett Comer, one of the assistants. So I'm kind of interested to see if we see a new offensive scheme this year um, and, and what direction the coaching staff takes because AG was able to go get one of his old buddies, James Kane. If you're not familiar with the college landscape, James Kane is regarded as one of the better assistants in the country. Uh, they got him from Iowa State because Iowa State cleaned house and got a new coaching staff. And James Kane left Dayton to take the Iowa State job because uh, it was higher paying and a little bit more of a higher profile assistant job. So now he's back. And that was pretty much a best case scenario, because if you would have asked me personally, I'd rather have James Kane than Anthony Solomon. With Big all Daddy the, Kane. Yeah. With all that said, um, the one thing I did want to make you know really clear to kind of start the year, and, and this is, I think, going to become the tune of the season, is that just like you said, Blackburn, we we just came through a season that had to reset everybody, expectations and, and kind of where we see the program and holistically, like where are we headed? And then AG put together the best recruiting class in Dayton history. He signed the best recruit in Dayton history. And so now you have Anthony Grant, who's heading into what it's, it's hard to believe that he's been here as long as he's been here now. Um, but AG is heading into his fifth season at the helm. Good God. Yeah, I know. Jesus. And <clears throat> how, how many tournament wins does he have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, I think you see what I'm getting at here. Yeah. Um, of course, Dayton would have won a tournament game in 2020. We know that, but we talked about it here on the show a million times. Actually winning a tournament game and saying that you should have because the pandemic was canceled are two different things. Okay. And so Dayton doesn't have the optics to kind of lean back on to say, oh, yeah, well, we did have that great year in 2020. So Anthony Grant is kind of heading into the defining years of his career at UD. And I truly mean that these are the defining years. Now, these defining years could last two years. They could last five years. Um, but if this recruiting class flops, if neither of these next two teams make the NCAA tournament, Anthony Grant will be on his way out of Dayton. Now, how long that takes, I wow. don't know. I, I'm serious. I'm 100% serious. I. Okay, we we could we could agree to disagree. I think he could stay as long as he wants. I mean, that's probably true, but it's a scary I, part. Yeah, what what I'm basically getting at, and I don't want this. I don't want people to take us back and be like, "Sully said he's going to get fired." What I'm saying, <laughs> like, that's what it's going to be. You know, uh, of course. What I'm saying is, we just had four four years of Anthony Grant. Three were were bad, mediocre, bad. One was decent, and then one was great. Okay. And so he just brought in the best recruiting class ever. If he can't build on the success and the foundation that he's already started with this recruiting class and with this two-year project that he's now put in place because we have no seniors on the roster, then there's going to be serious doubts in the fan base and in the national landscape that he's ever going to see success again with Dayton. And then there's going to be the consistent rumblings you already heard is that well, did he see success because of Obi or did the team see success because of AG? And those, <coughs> yeah, exactly. And those rumblings are going to get louder. So I know that was a mouthful, Blackburn, like 
agree or disagree? I agree wholeheartedly. And we, you know, AG is under an immense amount of pressure more so than any coach in, in Dayton's history because of the current landscape of college basketball and the climate. Um, if we have, we, I don't know, I'm not actually going to play this year, but if Dayton has, you're a, not playing no. yeah, I'll Eligibil- this year. the eligibility is exhausted. Yeah, it's gone. They can afford me, but, um, <laughs> my NIL, my, my NIL dealings yeah. are too high for Dayton. Yeah. But you know, with, with the transfer portal, the way it is and with the, the kids, the, the culture of, of student athletes. Now, if, if Dayton doesn't make the tournament this year, if they implode again, you're going to see two or three of those recruits that come in so highly regarded hit the road. And you're seeing that with a lot of major programs now where they're losing kids by, by the, the bucketful. I mean, you're talking about seven, eight kids transferred from a team uh, and you're basically starting from scratch again. And at a school, at a mid-major, it's, it's a lot harder to kind of recruit during that late, late spring, early summer period than it is for the Kentuckys and the Dukes and Carolinas, obviously. So this year, I think it's paramount. It's, it's it's of paramount importance because if you don't hit the ground running this year, and you kind of go into that NIT phase, or you know you're, you're sixth in the A10 again, Darren Holmes and a lot of these kids are going to be like, you know, I'm not spending the next three years doing this. Yeah. I, I, there's other opportunities out there. I can go in and play immediately, probably still. Um, so that that's really what somebody like Anthony Grant and, and a program like Dayton is is up against because these kids are ready to jump at the drop of a hat and any kind of adversity or some, some losing and they're not used to it and they want to go. Yeah. I can see uh, this year. I agree with you. This year is, is essential. Yeah. You got to have success this year. This year is big. Then, and then the year after is, is even bigger and it's going to be like that, but you're right. I mean, you can see Deron Holmes being like this dude. Weaver can't fucking shoot. I'm going to Kentucky, bro. I'm out. Or he's putting up 20 a game, you know? Yeah. And like we're talking about in, in, in the segment coming up, you know, the NIL has opened up opportunities for, for schools, primarily big schools, primarily for major markets to poach and, and Dayton is, doesn't check off any of those boxes. So there's this other, there's this kind of, you know, intense pressure for a school like Dayton to kind of be competitive and be successful right at the gate. Especially, like I said, we're going, it's crazy what college sports has turned into because we went from, you know, realignment. Then we went into the transfer portal stage and now we're in the NLI stage already. And it's changing the landscape of what college sports going to be for the near future, certainly. And we still don't really know the land. You know, the, the ground hasn't really settled as far as what the NIL, what the impact is going to be. But it, I think you and I both agree there's going to be some impact. Yeah. As yeah. far as rec- I mean, there's going to be a recruiting angle to to all of this. Obviously, the bigger schools or the bigger donors are going to be able to afford kids and attract kids more so than the schools like like Dayton and and uh, I guess I'll throw Xavier out there. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. that's just the way it is. So buckle up. Well said, my friend. White girls are going to be getting paid left and right off of their Instagram pages. It's, it's, it's already <laughs> been a huge white girl summer at the NIO. So that is uh, a great place to open the show tonight. We're going to get w- way more into uh, the NIL, what that means. And, and hey, you know, I think it's a good place to open the show. There is a new frontier of college athletics upon us. I don't think it's going to radically change college athletics. It might for the short term, but uh, stick around with us for the next 45-ish minutes, and we're going to get into a quick break. You're listening to Talking Out Loud here with Sully and Black. Yes. 
So for the first segment tonight on the newly revamped Talking Out Loud, welcome in for the summer session. We need to talk about the hard-hitting issues, and the hard-hitting issues right now in college athletics have to do with the new legislation passed for the name, image, and likeness bill. There's a lot to discuss. There's a lot of gray areas. The documents themselves are short, but I can't do it alone because I am no legal expert. I simply read the documents put in front of me by other legal experts. So, of course, I have my in-house legal counsel, Mr. Blackburn, with me for this segment, as well as one of our fair UD students. We had to outsource this one, you know, because it is such a a dicey topic here. You know, we had to make sure that we're doing right by our listeners, Blackburn, and bring in some extra legal counsel, right? Absolutely. And he's Ohio based too. So exactly. that's important. Exactly. So what we're going to get into right now in this session is we're going to try and keep it as factual as we can. I'm not a big political guy, never have been, never will be. So I'll keep it as factual as I possibly can for this segment. But um, without further ado, we brought in current UD students and our outsourced legal analyst, chief legal analyst, you could possibly call him. He goes by Ricky. Ricky, thanks for joining the program, man. Um, we're glad to have you uh, for this groundbreaking moment in college athletics, dare I say. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Really excited to be on. Uh, am I the first UD student uh, on this podcast? I don't know. Blackburn, I don't think so, right? We've had a student on, right? No, we've had students before. Yeah. Um, but most of the, a lot of the times, like I was telling Sully before the cast started on the old equipment we had, it would, it would delete the podcast and we'd never see it. So there's a lot of unheard episodes with students that just got deleted. The lost tapes. We call the lost them. files. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah. have well, the, the talk of lost tapes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to be on and, uh, get down to business and talk about, uh, this issue. Yeah, so Ricky's joining us tonight because he has a level of familiarity with the bill and how it pertains to Ohio and the formulation of that bill in Ohio. We don't need to get into the professional specifics. Just take our word that he's been around this damn bill and he knows what's in it. And that's why he's on the show today. All right. So, gentlemen, I wanted to start with the ruling that kind of tipped all this off. So if you haven't been following the the NIL story, if you don't know like its trajectory, this movement or this political campaign that it kind of turned into, um, it definitely got politicized along the way because people were so against the NCA and their treatment of athletes. So it was politically advantageous for a lot of people to jump on this train once it started in motion. But uh, one of the senators in Ohio was one of the first that was on it. And I believe the bill got passed in California to start. And it basically said that athletes could start um profiting off their name, image, and likeness. Now, the one problem that a couple of years ago that they ran into, and a lot of people that aren't familiar with college athletics didn't really know, was that California could pass laws until they were blue in the face, okay? And then other states followed. But initially, or um, ultimately, it was going to be left up to the NCAA because they are the governing body of college athletics, and no one is substantially... Um, fostering college athletics, or there is no other large organizations that are putting college athletics together in the same manner as the NCAA. So it's basically a state saying, hey, here's our laws. And then a private company like the NCAA saying, you know what, we don't have to do that because we're a private company, and we can do whatever the hell we want, right? So all these other states after California, 
They started passing laws. And again, it's all performative because you need to get people on your side. You need to get support. And that's why it got politicized, because a lot of people had a problem with the way college athletes have been treated and not financially compensated for their work. Blackburn, am I on the same? I'm on the right page so far, right? So far, so good. Okay, so far, so good. Just making sure, guys, because I had to paint the picture for everybody. Okay, so one of my favorite things about this entire process is that two and a half years ago, the NCA put together a committee headed by Val Ackerman. I think it was headed by Val Ackerman. Val Ackerman was on the committee, um, and Val Ackerman is the Big East commissioner, for all of you that don't know. So they put together this committee, and they said, all right, go out there and figure out how athletes can make their name, image, and likeness profitable for them, right? The NCAA was going to put in this system. They were going to fix all the problems. Well, then two years went by, two and a half years went by, and there was a lot of kicking that can down the road, okay? And the NCAA effectively did an effort. They they effectively said, uh, we're working on it. And that was all they ever said was, we're working on it. And so eventually this movement gathered enough steam is where we ended up today. And so on, I believe it was what, like two weeks ago, Blackburn, like we're recording on the 7th. I think this was the 21st of June was when the Supreme Court decision came down and it ripped the NCA antitrust law apart, right? Blackburn, are you familiar with this ruling that I'm speaking of right now? Um, intimately familiar with it, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Supreme Court ruled unanimously uh, June 21st that the NCA in an antitrust case, um, or sorry, ruled against the NCA in an antitrust case that led to the dramatic changes that we are about to talk about. Okay. I'll get into a couple more specifics of that Kavanaugh comments and the ruling by the Supreme Court, but it was a 9 0 ruling by the Supreme Court to say that athletes can start using their name, image, and likeness for their own profitability, okay? Now, I said all that part in the first part of what this monologue I'm doing right now, okay? I said all the first part because this is very important. Once the Supreme Court ruled that athletes could use their name, image, and likeness to make money, there was nothing that the NCAA could do to now stop that train. So they said on July 1st, All of the college athletes are going to be able to make money, and the NCAA could no longer kick that can down the road. So, Blackburn, I think my favorite part about this whole thing is that the NCAA, when this initially came down about two years ago, they're like, we're going to put in this committee, and we're going to do it right, and we're going to get all the rules right so that there's a system in place. And then they had their hand forced to the effect two years later where they just crumpled it all up and went, oh, shit, um, all the states can make all the rules now. Uh, sorry, guys, later. And then they just pieced out of the whole thing. So I had to had to like think about if you're a person on that committee who just spent two years of your life trying to come up with legislation that ultimately got thrown in the trash, I'd be pretty pissed. I, I guess on one hand you are, but on the other hand, look, the overlying message of this thing, and this is going to be true for the next couple of years and maybe even in the next couple of decades is you're not going to make everybody happy, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There's nothing you can do uh, to, to satisfy everybody. So I think when you get to that point where so many people are, have different interests and they want, they, they kind of want to capitalize on certain areas of the, of the free market. It's, it's really difficult to kind of, kind of make everybody happy with one, yeah solidified bill or one idea. So, I mean, 
at the end of the day, that that might have been kind of the takeaway that the people on that committee had, where it's like, you know what, just let everybody let the states handle it. Yeah. You know, it's it's like you know, we we wash our hands of this. Everybody, it's going to be the wild west for a few few years, and uh, you know, we'll it's trial by error. I mean, we'll see what happens. And like you said, uh, a lot of these states' bills are like two pages long, yeah. which tells you how unsophisticated and how unresearched and how you know, there's no real foresight on these bills. It's kind of like, let's just enact the law on July 1st. And then, you know, every year they'll probably add more and more to it. And, you know, by, by the year 2030, I'm sure the bills will be, you know, 500 pages long. Yeah. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, how could these guys know what they're talking about? Well, as to Blackburn's point, the bill in Ohio is exactly seven pages long. <laughs> and so it's funny that the NCA wanted to like paint this picture that we're working on it. We're working so hard. And then in about 10 days time, a bunch of state legislators just like pushed a bill through. And in Ohio, I don't know if you knew this, but this is kind of a funny anecdote in Ohio. This just shows you like how much BS goes on in politics is that they were trying to pass uh, the NIL bill and they knew it was going to pass and it was going to be swift. <laughs> so there was, there was, I think a Senator or somebody in Ohio that was like, uh, also, a, a amendment to the bill to uh, ban transgender athletes. Okay. And like the guy thought he was just going to slip it in there and everyone's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I, I thought we were talking about NIL. Um, no amendment to um, ban transgender athletes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, but that's, that's what, that's what you have when you have, you know, purely political people involved that's how every bill works you know what i mean it's like yeah. any stimulus bill it'll be like oh yeah we also want 400 million dollars to send to uh zaire for uh you know research on the uh screaming monkey you're like what <laughs> what does this have to do yeah. with the stim- you know regenerating the uh the economy i don't know i thought we were talking about nil so uh to to kind of bookend um the story to, to kick us off you know in this conversation and it has to be long because frankly the the trail to get us here is quite long even though the legislation is not um but basically on july 1st all the states uh started to put a bill in place so that everybody can profit off their name image and likeness now um what does that mean for us in ohio ricky you're here to to discuss that so was there any differences in what Ohio put in place versus the rest of the country, or was it unique in any way versus the other bills that, um, that or I guess the federal ruling that came across? Um, it really wasn't that different. Uh, Senator Narajantani from the Miamisburg area, uh, he really had started working on this two and a half years ago when he was still a state representative when California first passed their law. And a lot of these other states, Alabama, Texas, Florida, they all have the same pretty cut and clear seven-page bill that, you know, yes, you can be compensated for NIL. Yes, you can have an agent, but, you know, you can't sign contracts with companies who manufacture alcohol, marijuana, vapes, tobacco, things like that, things like that. Ohio was, uh, like you said, had been working on it for a couple of years then. And, I, you know, I think my biggest issue was this is how hastily it was put together. Um, and, you know, it's all the NCA's doing. It really is their fault because they just kept saying, oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. And then they kind of said, we're working on it until the absolute final hour. And then they backed up and said, you know what? Everybody handle it on your own. I think that mostly for the start of things, people are going to, uh, they're going to have basically the same laws. But I know Blackburn, let 
behind the scenes, there are schools and especially schools like, you know, Alabama, Clemson, like the Ohio or Ohio State, like the football schools that have so much more to profit off of this. They're putting in rules right now that student athletes are going to have to abide by just on their schools. Now, with that said, no schools can prevent athletes from making money and they cannot uh, take away your scholarship or um, their standing in athletics cannot be changed in any way because of the money they've made. So I want to make that clear as well, since we're kind of trying to outlay the facts. But you better believe that schools are trying to make guidelines around how to make money. And we know this is the most important thing. A lot of the times Blackburn reporting how you're making money because that part's going to be very important. Cash rules everything around us, Sully. It does. It does. Yeah, indeed. Like here's a here's an overriding question I have is that, um, you know, I think we're already seeing there was kind of a bonanza the first couple of days. Um, with guys announcing, you know, t-shirt lines and other kind of, you know, their own independent brand, so to speak. But I think we're seeing the the majority of the people who are going to benefit from this, at least from the outset, are going to be the hot, the hot chicks with, you know, 500,000 and above followers on Instagram, because they already have a set foundation of followers and you know technically i guess they can be considered influencers and um you know we were talking before we came on about jalen crutcher from last year i think we we said he had what thirteen thousand, something like that followers sorry ricky right around thirteen thousand. uh i think fifteen thousand. yeah yeah i mean if you're an advertiser um i'm not sure there's a lot of return on your investment with a guy who's got 50 i mean there's there's probably i think you know Matt Allaire, our buddy, I think he's got 50,000 or something. He's a, he's a gamer. You know, you, he's got, he has more value as far as, you know, tweeting out a picture of uh, a sports strength than Jalen Crutcher would, I would think. Yeah. Social media value at least. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's where it kind of starts. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to realize it, it takes money to make money, obviously. So, you know, I saw like Spencer Rattler, I guess has been like the really, the major athlete I've seen who's kind of come out real strong with his own, like, clothing line and you know whatever apparel and stuff like that but he's got to be putting money into that um and you got you got to pay money for advertising and stuff like that so it's like you, getting to the point i think you're gonna see a lot of kids lose a lot of money <laughs> on, yeah. on, on t-shirt lines and shit like that like yeah. you know um and yeah. i think a lot I, I don't know if there's gonna be a lot of national brands quite frankly that are interested in doing this Absolutely. And kind of right. like, for instance, at Dayton, I don't, again, I, I, we don't know the rules with this, but I'm, I'm sure I'm right on this. Like Dayton is a Nike branded school. So Adidas can come in and say, Hey, you know, Elijah Weaver, we want you to wear a, a Adidas apparel. You know, he just can't do that. Correct. So I don't know right. what kind of, what kind of products and what kind of ads these kids are going to be doing. I mean, I know Brian Roberts, um, He's heading up a thing where he's basically giving, I think, everybody on the team, correct, money to kind of tweet and, mm-hmm. and post about the field house, I guess. I guess people didn't know the field house existed. I don't know. No, but open apartments. He, he bought like six <laughs> apartments yeah. above them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that leads to anything. And again, we're not, we're not talking a lot of money. I mean, my, my guess is that it's it's under 50 bucks per person. Um, you know, that's a, nice, that's a nice meal or two, but it's not exactly to get, get you in, in a in a Lamborghini or anything. So, I mean, it might be a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing at this point. I don't know. We'll see how it evolves. 
Like, well, like it's I just think... there's just not that much money out there right now. I mean, like I said, it's the the people who are who are getting these deals are people we've never heard of. It's just like blonde white girls from California are getting. I like, had I had no idea the Fresno State exactly. Exists. I had no idea. Right, and that just tells you we're not obviously the target audience for this. We're not like in that that ad demo that these advertisers are going to be going for. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it develops and how how these kids find ways to make money. And it's going to be even more interesting to see who's going to be the people that kind of take advantage of these kids as well. Because when you got money out there, you got a free market, you got naive kids, there's going to be the Don King of the NIL out there somewhere. Um, well, you know, the eyes always go to the, you know, everyone focuses on the national deals, national branding, things like that. But one thing that this bill did, and uh, I think it really works, especially in the state of Ohio, even though it's small, maybe you get a few hundred dollars, but if you're an offensive lineman and you're a four-star recruit, five-star recruit from Appalachia, Ohio, and you get recruited to Ohio State, you're automatically a hometown hero. And, you know, back at home, like the big mom and pop shop or cafe, restaurant, you go on one of their commercials, you can do summer camps at home, charge 50 bucks a kid, do all those sorts of things. I really think that going back home, that kind of aspect has to be taken into consideration yep. where a lot of these people from rural or even you know urban areas can make some sort of money and they wouldn't have been able to before. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you know, there's a lot of aspects of this to discuss and we're, we're going to be on it for, for weeks at a time. But um, the one thing that I, so I, I've been, you know, along with leading the reading the legislation, listening to the podcast and college basketball, um, I on college basketball at CBS guys, uh, Gary Parrish and Norlander. Uh, they've been digging into this every week, you know, talking about the various issues and how it's going to affect college athletics. And I don't always agree with the guys. Um, generally they have a pretty good pragmatic approach to just about everything, but uh, Gary Parrish tends to be like a glass half full kind of guy. And I think if you listen to my show or listen to the show at all, you know that we're going to be a little bit more realistic than being like glass half full optimist. And the one thing that he said that I just I, my jaw hit the floor was he said all those people that thought this was only going to affect a few athletes. Boy, are they dead wrong? And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, this is going to affect the top five percent of college athletes. And he's like, oh, it's going to be thousands. Okay. Yeah. It, it probably could be thousands. Do you guys happen to know trivia time? Do you guys happen to know roughly how many NCAA division one athletes there are Blackburn? You want to take a guess at that? Oh man. I, I'm thinking back to the enterprise commercial. I don't know. Uh, shoot. 200,000. I don't know. Yeah, Ricky, don't you want to take a stab at it? Yeah. Like 350,000. So Blackburn was closer. There's 175,000 college athletes. Okay. Not all are going pro. Now, not all are going pro. <laughs> Actually going pro in something other than sports, I've heard. Right, but, right, right. But I mean, okay, so let's just do that. If it's 10% of 175, that's still 17,000 kids. All right. That's 10%. There is no effing way 10% of college athletes are going to be profiting in a very tangible way off this kind of stuff. I mean, you're going to see basketball players, football players, and and hot chicks on Instagram. I mean, that is who is going to be profiting off of this. And But I will concede that, like Ricky said, there will be some marginable, marginal benefits for guys that maybe are from small towns and you know, they can get 
advertisements back home. But again, like you said, Blackburn, how much is that really worth to kids? A couple hundred here, a couple hundred there. I mean, now I'm not saying that's bad by any means. I'm simply trying to outline that like the impact on the majority of kids is going to be small or part-time income, which frankly, I think that's what we're trying to accomplish, at least in some sense, right? Well, as you know, college athletes were starving before this. Guys were missing meals, weren't eating. Yeah, but they were impoverished. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, people have to also realize the, the the kind of the advertisers, the the people that own companies and businesses, they have all the bargaining power here. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, look, like you know, do the example of the kid from rural Ohio who plays at Ohio State. A mom and pop store might be like, hey, look, kid. We'll give you 250 bucks to uh, to tweet about our store or do like a autograph signing or something like that. Um, they're not, we're not talking thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars for, no. you know what I mean? But again, it's going to be some folding money to put in the wallet. Yep. Uh, take your best gal out to, uh, to, to a dinner or two. But but it's not going to be this overwhelming, oh my God, everyone's a millionaire and driving around Camus and Bugatti's and you know, popping champagne every night. It's not going to be like that at all. And I hope kids don't think, I think kids are smart if they realize that's, it's not going to be that way. You know, are they um, you sure Ricky, do you think that kids like think they're all going to get rich off of this? I mean, what, I guess you've had a different perspective of it. Cause you've kind of seen the legislation side, but like, do you really think kids think they're getting rich off this? Oh, uh, I mean, some of the kids might, I think the national media really took it way further than it was ever going to be. Yeah. And I would, if there was like they overstated the impact you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I think it was really meant to be a relatively small scale thing in the sense of, yeah, it's going to get a decent amount of players, a few hundred dollars every other semester, but you're going to get that if you are working part-time during college, but you can't work part-time during college because you're an athlete. So it's almost going to be a lot of money that is making up for time lost while they're in the gym, while they're dedicating their entire life into a four-year career at their university. I agree. No, I agree. I, I agree. Good. But he, we, University of Miami has already kind of showed us the shown us a future. I think. I don't know if you guys saw it. It was either today or yesterday. A Miami booster is essentially giving every scholarship football player five hundred bucks a month sure. to to you know do ads on on their Instagram and Twitter. Blah blah blah. Now again. All that is is just a recruiting ploy disguised as, you know, uh, a, a business deal. Yeah. So as long as you do it better than the other Mac schools, that's all that mm-hmm. matters. Right. Well, no, this is this is the U. Oh, that's not right. Miami. U. I thought you were yeah, talking yeah. about Miami. Okay. Yeah. No, so this is the hurt kind. But, but I mean, same thing. Like, right. As long as your amount is bigger than the other schools in your conference. Right. You're good. But here, but I think they gave us a peek into the future because let's take a school like Clemson. What's it's almost like. Dabo Sweeney's recruiting pitch now won't be in the locker rooms or the weight room or, you know, the, where the kids are living, stuff like that. It'll just be 10 guys sitting in a boardroom saying, if you come to Clemson, this guy's going to give you hundred K for an autograph session. This guy's going to give you 200 K for whatever. You know what I mean? It's going to be an arms race. And that's when it's going to get really kind of, it's going to get muddled as, as far as what we're doing here, because right now it's kind of cute and it's kind of, kind of fresh in our minds and people are kind of 
you know, oh, maybe look, he some... did that autograph session at a car dealership. <laughs> right. And, and people are kind of think it's nice for the, the kids to get a little spending money and stuff like that. But yeah. when you start getting, because what's the stop? Let's say Dayton has 10 boosters what, willing to put up 100K each, right? Uh, Anthony Grant takes a recruit into the, the, the boardroom and he says, look, when you the day you come to, to come to school, we're going to have an autograph session with these 10 boosters. You're going to sign a picture of yourself and they're just going to pay you 100K. Yeah. Okay. That's my recruiting pitch. I have nothing. You're not going to see the court. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to show you where you're living. That's my pitch. You're going to get a million. Now, again, no one's going to pay a million bucks for a college basketball player. I don't think. I mean, Jesus Christ. But we'll see. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know where I don't know where this is headed. Um, it, it's it's so gray. And and Ricky, I guess I you know you have more knowledge into this than I do. But from what I'm reading, it seems like you can't sign anything that has the college logo or the Jersey, or you can't even do autograph sessions on campus. I don't think basically it's right. just gotta be you. Like you gotta be at yeah. like, like a courtyard signing like glamor shots of yourself. Like you can't even be in uniform. Yeah. And again, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I think is going to be the next thing. I know like uh, EA sports is talking about bringing back the video game. So eventually, you know, you have like the MLB, uh, MLB PA, the players association that they kind of license out their, everyone's likenesses for use in, trading cards and sports games, et cetera, et cetera. So eventually I think that's what, what we might see where it's kind of like the college athlete association or something where you just license out, you know, the same kind of shit, trading card, video games, stuff like that. And everybody gets a little sliver of that. But outside of that, I think it's just going to be, it's going to be a lot of dark money. Um, I think a lot of these guys aren't going to see a lot of return on their initial investment. And I think the novelty is going to really wear off where it's like, you know what? it's nice to be associated with university of Dayton basketball by giving so-and-so 500 bucks, but it's really not worth it. Like it's not really, I'm not seeing my sales increase. I'm not really seeing any benefit from this, you know, and national brands are, I don't think national brands are really to get involved. Certainly not this stage. If they are, they're certainly sitting on their hands right now, waiting to see what the landscape looks like. Uh, and like you said, Sully, once college, the football season kicks off and college basketball, but really it's college football is the king. It, it'll tell us more about where this is going. I think. Go ahead, Ricky. I know you had something to say. <clears throat> yeah. No. The reason that they were so strict, Blackburn, on licensing trademarks, things like that, uh, at least in the state of Ohio, is because the reason it took two and a half years for us to get this legislation going is because uh, the office wanted approval from a big name university you know, someone to work with to get this passed. And Senator Antani in the office, we had an opportunity to work with the Ohio State University. And, you know, they wanted to make sure that all their bases were covered. So this really is just an initial seven page document where, um, you know, all the trademarks, things like that are covered. I know in Arkansas, uh, they're pushing that you can't even wear the colors of your university when you're doing brand deals, things like that. So sure. I think, you know, I'm speaking personally, uh, but That's I think what we do you here. could see some movement to, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you could see some movement from, you know, universities letting up at least a little bit uh, if the players start to complain. Uh, and they will. But then again, yeah. yeah but then on. again, the NCAA, the way that they gave this interim waiver says that it's up to the university or college. So let's say university sees well, oh, well, we can get some more recruits here because they might make some more money if we let them use our logos. If that starts happening, then you could see a lot of universities freaking out. They want to ensure that they still have their recruits 
and start letting up some of their trademarks and licensing. Yeah. And I think that that was a very key piece of that because I even made the mistake on Twitter. I hadn't really researched much of it yet because it hadn't gone into place yet. And I hadn't, you know, started the wheels in motion to, to do the show here. Um, but I looked at, you know, I, I, or sorry, I made a mistake on Twitter to say, oh, you know, I think that schools and athletes are going to work together on this. And, and I was dead wrong. Like once I read the fine print of this bill, like Blackburn said, you can't have anything on any gear. Um, basically, you know, if you're playing basketball, it's got to be in a nondescript shirt. Like it truly is name, image and likeness. And like you said, in Arkansas, maroon is as identifiable with the hogs as anything in the entire state. So, sure, it makes perfect sense that the school would come down and say, you know what, we're, we don't want you being in maroon because it's going to be a violation. Or, you know, so, what if another school in the conference you know, reports that as a violation, right? And then they and then they get a sanction because of it. I mean, you're going to see a lot of that backdoor stuff where if schools in another conference know that they can get an advantage by reporting other schools in their conference for NIL violations, you bet your ass they're going to do it. And so it's going to get a little bit more sneaky. Um, football and basketball, especially, there's going to be a lot of stuff under the table. Like Blackburn said, you know, just ridiculous dollar amounts to start out with for simple things like autograph signings. But I think the important thing to remember in all of this is that it's going to be a market that uh, is going to spike to begin with, and then it's going to even itself out. And I think that's very important because I had a friend when we first started discussing this bill, he said, I think athletes are going to get paid a ton. And then Blackburn, you said it. There's going to be people that aren't that don't see that return on their investment because people are going to start making business decisions with emotion. And anybody who's been successful in business will tell you that's a recipe for disaster. And that's how you end up losing money because you're a fan. And you're like, oh, man, this guy's so famous. I want to get him on everything. And so you pay for that. And then you just don't see a return on investment because it wasn't really a wise business decision. You're just a fan who wants his team to win and you like the guys. Right. You well, didn't really run the numbers on it. And then, you know. The college market is very unique because the inherent value is the association with the school. Mm-hmm. You know, you basically in well, college, kids are about to find that out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You, you you're cheering mm-hmm. for the jersey. I mean, UD used to have sellouts when they were going five and twenty five in a season. You know, yeah. Um, you, you wouldn't want to buy anyone's jersey on that team. So it's like, but look, there's only you know been how- okay. Let's let's do it like this right before you finish the point. Let's let's say it like this, okay? There has only been one athlete that has truly moved the needle in UD basketball in our entire lives, and it just happened. Literally, Matt Cavanaugh. Matt Cavanaugh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I was going to say Chase Johnson. But. Yeah, I, I mean that's the point here in Dayton is that yes, local dealers. Uh, or sorry, local companies, your car dealerships, all that shit's great. But in a program like Dayton, think about the context. There is one fucking guy that's ever moved the needle for Dayton basketball to another scale. And it was a one year thing. Right. Well, that's a that's a big picture thing because, you know, some of the articles I'm reading and again, everyone's speculating. No one knows. You can't really read the tea leaves on this one. But a school like UD, how do they come out of the scrum with all this where they don't necessarily have the sexy media market, obviously, uh, they don't really have the the big juice boosters that really want to get in the weeds with this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, the UD boosters, sure, there's guys who have money, but I'm pretty sure these are not the kinds of guys who want to throw away six figures for an 18 year old basketball player. Yeah, I mean, that's how they, they became rich by not throwing money away. So it's like we have ten or not, less donors with like big, big, big money. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. And then even then it's kind of this weird thing where it's like, no, you know, I don't really have to do that. Like, you know, it, it's not worth it for me to, to sign and, you know, have a kid sign an autograph for 50 K. Like I, I don't want to get involved in that business. Like I'll support the, the, the athletic program the same way I always did by just cutting a check, you know? Um, but it's going to be weird. It's going to be interesting to see how schools like Dayton, like kind of like, you're not really in a major media market. You're not a major basketball program year in, year out. How does it shake out for them as far as recruiting, you know? Um, and also look, it's going to be with the transfer portal the way it is. I mean, I think we, I think we're up to like 1600 kids in basketball in the, in the portal. That's going to be a huge recruiting tool as well to steal kids that, from others, from mid majors, you know, mm-hmm. come to the university of Michigan, you know, uh, we got a guy who will give you a car, you know, you do a car commercial and you'll get a, uh, a Dodge charger. That's a pretty good, you know, Dayton is like, yeah, we'll give you five free subs at the sub house, yeah. <laughs> you know, not the same, not the same world. Free but, lunch at Milano's for life. Yeah, it's like you really can't compete with that. And that's, it's going to be interesting to see how smaller schools and mid-major schools, particularly in, in basketball, obviously how they react to that, where they see this arms race where they just can't compete. But I think we're also, we're going to see how it evolves. And the step, step one is that it's, you know, people are complaining. It's not helping the kids that it was intended to. It's getting away from the spirit of what, this whole thing is, which then is- they're going to unionize. There'll be, like I said, like a, a Don King kind of head, head, head piece to this whole thing. And then they're going to negotiate with every college to say, look, for this to go forward, we're not going to play anything unless we have full licensing. We can get, we can sell Jersey or, you know, we could sign jerseys with the, the school name on it. We can do photo shoots on the court and on the field. That's the next step. And that, it, that might be two years from now. It might be 10 years from now, but eventually that's what they're going to do. That's that's the you know it's it's pretty predictable. That's the way this thing's headed because everyone wants to get a piece of this and and let's not forget the schools want to get a piece too. Oh yeah, you know if, oh, yeah. if Jalen Crutcher yeah. last year or Obi Toppin was signing a jersey and the jersey cost sixty bucks and the autograph cost forty, Dayton's like yeah we'll take eighty five dollars of that. Here here's fifteen for Obi, you know, and, that, and that's and maybe that's the way it should be. I mean the school at the end of the day, they're the ones who are more vital in this than the actual athletes. So if, if anyone's making money, it should be the school as well. Cause in college, people are really, they're really supporting the school way before you're, you're supporting a player. Yeah. I mean, that's spot on. And that's, that's kind of the point to, to get to here. Right. Um, I mean, Ricky, you said it in the, in the last point you made was that this is just a first step, right? Because the university is getting involved and then getting their hand in the cookie jar and, profiting at least some kind of percentage. I mean, that has to be the next step for this whole process, right? Yeah. You know, I I really think it's important to emphasize that this is just the beginning for this chapter in NCAA. I mean, it's taken really decades for college athletes to get to this point and for our society to get to this point to be okay with college athletes uh, getting paid. And I think that well, people are more than okay with it. I think it's like, <laughs> right. I, I, you know what right. I mean? Like, I, mean, I think like, that a lot of public opinion kind of moved this along. Yeah. Yeah. But the NCAA in specific for stonewalling us for as long as they really have. Exactly. You know, it took the Supreme court and a lot of state governments to, and obviously a public opinion, like you said, to make this happen. But I think that colleges and athletes will feel this out together and really see uh, how, both universities react as well as athletes, what sort of deals are struck within these next few years. Uh, And then you'll move towards, you know, amending some of these bills, 
and maybe even getting federal legislation. That's something that we really haven't talked a lot about, but the, the federal government could come in at any time and if they pass their own bill, that becomes the law of the land. And um, that that is also a total possibility, but there's so much that can happen uh, just from seven days after this really becoming a thing. And it'll be exciting to follow. Do you think that that is imminent that, you know, there's people in the background trying to come up with a federal law or do you think that they're going to let this play out over multiple years from what you've seen? Um, well, I know that the federal government has been discussing uh, getting legislation passed. It's obviously a bipartisan issue, but there's still partisanship when dealing with, you know, voting and bills like that. I mean, you saw in the Ohio State House something as simple as this bill, which should have passed unanimously, had to get political. Um, but the federal government definitely, I know that at least Senator McConnell, uh, I don't know of any other specifically, but um, the United States federal government definitely wants to pass some legislation on this. Uh, and I think that that also played some sort of role in forcing the NCAA into this waiver, in addition to the state government's and Supreme Court ruling. Yeah, I think there was a couple of important things to unpack there as we kind of get towards the end of the segment right here is that um, universities profiting is going to be the next step of this. And had the NCA handled this matter properly, um, it, it could have shaken out a lot differently. And all I mean by that is the NCA got so many people against them and so many they, they galvanized such a loud mob against them that it kind of allowed this to really gain momentum in a way that was unstoppable, you know, because there was the pay the players people. And there was, there wasn't as much argument against the pay the players thing, because there's a lot of people that are like the athletes just need paid, pay them. And, and it's like, okay, I understand that. And I understand that the NCAA is making millions and millions and millions. They have plenty of money. billions, so billions, 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 but oh. like, there had to be a transparent framework so that all of this could play out in a very like rational, pragmatic way. And instead, like we didn't get that. So it, it, it almost, it looked like a knee jerk decision, even though like what you said, Ricky, like it's been going on in the la in the background for the last two and a half years, but because this matter wasn't handled right, it got pushed through in a way that it shouldn't. So now what we have, like we said, is this wild west of like, where's the market? What is reasonable? What's not reasonable? Who's getting six figures to go to a car dealership? I mean, there were so many ways that this could have been circumvented to come up with a rational solution to the pay the players movement. And instead, what we got was a very vague guideline seven page document um, that frankly should have way more details on it. And I'll, I'll finish by saying this is probably the third time we brought it up is that this is just the first step. There will be more guidelines put in place. I think that it has to shake out for a while. Um, but universities profiting and partnering with students to profit off of them has to be the next step here. It's the next logical place. I see this going because like you said, Blackburn, the place where they're going to make the most money is is jersey sales and merchandise with logos and guys, you know, 
in um, in harmony. So I I just feel like that's going to happen. It's inevitable. Um, but the steps that we take to get to that point will be a little bit bumpy. And, um, you know, the knife is going to cut both ways for the Flyers. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll beat guys in recruiting because we have more money than teams in our conference. We'll lose great players because they want more money going to bigger cities, bigger markets, bigger schools, uh, etc. Um, gentlemen, this wasn't a typical show the way that we did it, but let's let's gather our final thoughts on the topic. I know I did the best I could to entertain listeners with the story without getting boring about it. There's a ton more to discuss here. I didn't even really go into any of the quotes um, that Judge Kavanaugh made when they voted against the NCA and the antitrust law. That's for your own benefit. I just try to be entertaining for you people out there. Um, But before I get to the final part of the show, talking recruiting and doing a roster recap of the Flyers, uh, boys, let's let's bring it all together. And um, Ricky, thanks for coming on, bro. But let's give us the uh, the final thoughts on the NIL issue for this evening. So I guess I would start uh, by saying, you know, Mark Emmert and the NCAA has dropped the ball once again. They really can't dig themselves out of a hole by creating this Wild West sort of uh, environment for NIL. And I think that there's a lot that can be done moving forward, but this was a really big first step that just happened last week. And the University of Dayton and all universities can start moving forward and helping players earn a little more money that can go under their pockets and still be the powerful universities that they can be. And two quick thoughts from me. Uh, the feds are absolutely going to get involved. You know, the current government we have installed, they're, they're more interested in, they're not interested in guaranteeing equality. They're interested in guaranteeing equity. And, you know, you can read between the lines as to what I mean by that. And also, let's not forget the, the most overwhelmingly positive thing to come out of all of this. And that is Jay Billis has nothing to say for the rest of his life. He has to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is a pretty key point in all of this. Is that Jay Billis is uh, he doesn't really have much else to say, but he's gonna they'll, he'll find something. You know that, of course, of course. But like, uh, the, like I said, one last thought is that's gonna be interesting to see how it shakes out. Who's complaining about this and and how they address all the all the you know the issues that people bring up with it. We'll see. More NIL talk to come down the road. That's all we got for this week's show because we got to get to recruiting news and do a little roster refresh to end the show tonight. Uh, so that's where we're going to leave you. We'll be right back after a quick break. It's Talking Out Loud with your boy Sully. Yes. round out the show this evening we're we're back in action and because we're back in action after such a long hiatus we talked about earlier in the front half of the show um that it's going to be a completely new year and it's going to be a defining year in anthony grant's career but with all that said uh, it's probably worth it on the uh, back half of the show tonight to kind of bring listeners up to date with what's been going on both on the recruiting trail and on the roster i mean me even sitting down tonight after taking a few months off of Flyers basketball, uh, I kind of forgotten some of the guys that we've picked up along the way because the offseason tends to be pretty long. And so that's what we're going to do. A little roster recap, give you guys a little insight into recruiting, who we've offered, how many scholarships are coming down the line. And to do that, I'll be the first to tell you that I do not know everything there is to know about recruiting and I don't follow it day to day. It's just not my bag. It's not what I'm good at. But 
the longer I've done the radio thing, the more I've realized that you got to have great people around you as resources that do follow these things every day. And as such, I brought them on the show. They go by Jeff and Durs. You can find them at FifeJD on Twitter or at U underscore Durs1. The boys are with me again. They did the episode, I think, the last two years, right, fellas? And now we're you're back for, is this year three, Jeff, that you guys have been on? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think we took one off there for a little while, but uh, we're back in, in action here, and we're excited to get back in the swing of things. Um, yeah. as, as you mentioned, Durs and I, you know, keep an eye on this stuff pretty closely, along with a few other folks on Twitter, and uh, we're excited to kind of give a, an overview here. Yeah, Durs, I mean, it's it's a good time to hop back in, in in July here because, as you've mentioned to me many times, recruiting never sleeps. That is for sure. I mean, you're everyone's favorite duo here, uh, you know, me and Jeff. We, we, we don't hop back in. We're always in. You're so always in. We're happy to be talking about uh, the newcomers, the roster, you know, who's dating targeting in you know, 2022 and beyond. So looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, Durs, let's start there, man. Um, how has the the COVID year and and kind of the tumultuous nature of the season, how has it changed the offseason schedule? Because the Peach Jam's coming up in August, I believe. If you don't know what the Peach Jam is, it's basically where like all of the high school recruits go play in a tournament and all the college coaches are there. But has the calendar shifted, you know, because of the, the COVID year last year? So probably the biggest thing is June 1st is when college athletes were allowed to go visit campuses. And then also in June, coaches could go to these AAU tournaments. So I don't think Dayton's had any official visits yet, at least none that I've seen on social media. They've had had some some guys from the area come and you know visit the, the school. And luckily, Dayton's offered a few of them. Uh, but that's probably the biggest thing is now it's, it's finally back to normal in regards to face-to-face meetings and things like that. So what has been the the hot news um, around Flyer fandom? Because Jeff, it, when you uh, when we but before we went on, you told me that the, the scholarships are kind of wide open moving forward, right? So the Flyers have filled their roster for the upcoming year, but you know, I guess the hot news has kind of shifted to what the class of I don't even know what it is now, a class of twenty twenty five at Dayton or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, you're getting closer. I mean, um, with the with the COVID year, it's basically was a free pass year for for everybody. So anyone who was actually playing in the college game last year, um, basically last year, didn't count towards their eligibility. That's why there was so many uh, rumors, if you can even t- you know call them that, uh, around people returning to school, whether they're gonna take that extra kind of fifth year for those who were seniors, or um, you know if they were going to use that extra eligibility as we know for for Dayton we didn't have that situation with with Evie and uh, Jalen returning um, which I think for for the most part makes sense for this roster given how crowded it's going to be yeah um, you know we'll have full 13 scholarship players for the first time under the uh, the AG regime um, using all of our scholarships there and for as long as I can remember uh, the first time having a full 13 uh, scholarships but really what it means for, for the roster moving forward is we, we don't have any open as it stands right now for 2022. Um, and if uh, Elijah Weaver and uh, Chumani Kamara, one of the uh, incoming transfers we'll touch on here in a little bit, if they end up actually using that free year last year to stay for uh, all of their eligibility at Dayton, we actually won't even have anyone available in, in 2023 either. Um, of course, that assumes no one transfers out. That assumes those guys use that that full time. But um, for the foreseeable next few years, um, it's probably going to be a lot of fluidity, uh, just given all the new rules and everything with the transfer transfer years. But uh, at least as it stands right now, it's it's chock full for at least one more year and possibly two more with at least the group we've got right now. 
Yeah, and I think when we looked at some of the offseason moves that that did happen for UD, um, of course, you know, the transfer of Lucas Frazier, uh, Jalen Nibby did not come back, and then the transfer of Dwayne Cohill. I think the only one that we were really surprised by was the Dwayne Cohill transfer, but then you know, that came down the grapevine that it wasn't really Dwayne's choice. He was kind of shown the door in a very polite way and a gentlemanly way as AG tends to do. Um, But it was just a situation where, Hey, you said it right there. I mean, we're going to be chock full of guards going into this season and is it really worth it to have Dwayne carve out 20 minutes on that roster when we're trying to build some cohesion for multiple years? Because there's, I think it's fair to say with, with what Jeff just said, we're kind of building now a two year type of um, runway. Right. And so, to have one senior on that roster who's not your best scorer might be your best defender, but that doesn't really make sense to me. So I think what's most important for the listeners right now is to say, it kind of looks like we're building a, a like a two-year runway, right? 100% agree. It feels like, you know, AG and company kind of went all in when, when EB and all those guys transferred in. It seems like he might be taking a similar strategy now. Um, you know, loading up with, with three transfers, four new guys. I mean, seven newcomers in one year is, it's a good amount of turnover, uh, but they all seem like, you know, they're winners, good players, and, you know, I'm excited to see them mesh together. Uh, the, the one thing I think I want to point out is, you know, poor Lucas, you know, he entered the portal back, you know, a couple months ago, and he's still looking for a home. So I think Dayton was yeah. pretty lucky to get the guys they did. Uh, they targeted a couple guys very early and, and landed them pretty quick. So I think Kamara, I think Kobe, um, the biggest question mark is, is Big Rich, who's a transfer from uh, <laughs> was it East Tennessee State. Uh, he's, he's a little bit un- unknown, but um, at a high school, he had a lot of hype. Um, he kind of come. He came over from England, I believe. And uh, let's hope AG can uh, can find a way for he can reach his potential. Yeah, I guess Jeff, we we could take that step back now since um, you know we talked about the the roster's pretty full for the next two years. So I think it's fair if you're a diehard fan listening right now and you've kind of forgotten some of the names that have found themselves on the roster, right? Because man, I, I look at, I've said this a couple of times on Twitter over the last few months, Dayton always likes to put out those social media posts where the guys are in the weight room, like hard work pays off or whatever the hell. And every time they have like three or four pictures, there's always one or two guys where I'm like, who the hell is that? Right. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, especially with uh, with some of the some of the transfers who uh, you know might have not have seen in, in college before. Uh, Big Rich uh, is probably the easiest one to to recognize with a with a dyed with a dyed hair. So if you see the bleach blonde hair, that's uh, Richard Amafule, um, who came over from East Tennessee State, like like there's mentioned. Um, and then you know there's a there's a few other guys that look a, a little bit more grown out there. You know, Tumani Kamara looks like a like a grown man, you know, coming into his third year of college basketball here. So um, he's definitely one that sticks out in some of those Instagram posts you're referencing and might even recognize him from when, uh, you know, he played uh, at Georgia and played Dayton in the Maui Invitational, which well, he didn't go too well for the Georgia Bulldogs team back then. But, Is it uh, not? you know, Kamara, you know, he's he started every game over the first two years at, at Georgia. And I think he put up a like a seven, seven point two rebound stat line, um, you know, against the Flyers. So in his freshman year, so definitely looking forward to him to make an immediate impact. Again, just one of those guys that, you know, has a college, uh, you know, college experience, body and skill set, and probably going to slide into the four, maybe the five uh, right off the bat for this team. Speaking yeah. of uh, Instagram posts, I want to hop in real quick. One, one oh, thing please. I do hate is, is Dayton is 
for some reason, only sharing uh, videos and pictures from, you know, actually lifting weights. We've had one on-court video. So who knows if, if any of these newcomers can actually shoot or anything. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll, we'll find true. out in the fall for the red-blue scrimmage. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. I, I always, I, I feel like over the last few months, that's kind of been the story. Is it, oh, there they are in the weight room again. It's like, I think these guys hit the court at some point. Right. They have to be playing basketball in the offseason. But if they are, there's no proof to say that. So we, we know how Dayton gets there a little tight lipped about just about everything, whether it's women's track and field or, you know, Dayton basketball. Um, but you're right. You know, back to that same point. Kamara, I was blown off. I was really blown out of my seat when I started looking up some of his stats at Georgia um, and. He's going to have two years of eligibility. Uh, again, came over from the Bulldogs last year, and he played two years uh, at UGA, started just about every game over there. And we kind of said this before we got on the broadcast, but this looks like a plug-and-play type of guy. 35 minutes a night. He's going to be in the starting lineup from day one. Um, I looked at some of his uh, game stats from last year. And the guy put together 21 games where he was in double figures, scoring 10 points or more. Eight of those games, he scored more than 15. And he also registered eight double doubles. And um, man, I mean, this guy was in double digits on the glass like every other night. So I think that's something that I can leave people with to be excited about is like, this is going to be a, like I said, plug and play guy, 35 minutes a night into the lineup. Um, you know, Jeff, besides that, who else do we, I guess, you know, we've been talking about it for about an hour, an hour before we jumped on, but who else is filling out the roster now and what can we kind of expect as a style, keeping in mind that it's still July? Sure. Yeah. I'll finish off with the last transfer and then I'll let theirs maybe jump in with, with some of the freshmen that are coming in. But, uh, the last transfer that might've been the, uh, more under the radar one that came in, uh, was Kobe Elvis coming over from DePaul. Uh, original from originally from Ontario, Canada. Um, so if you're catching a the theme here, I think we've got the most international Dayton roster in, in my recent memory as well. Yeah, we're the new um, George Washington, the A10 we, right now, dude. Right? We are. I think we've got. Uh, I think we've got five or six international players, including our, our buddy Big Moose from last from last year. So the Moose. Um, but uh, yeah, Kobe Kobe's coming in, and it's uh, you know he's. He plays a guard role. Um, you know, he can shoot the ball a little bit. It looks like, you know, has that college experience under his belt. Didn't get a ton of minutes um, over at DePaul, but did at least, uh, you know, make some contributions there. I think it just adds that that depth a little bit more uh, that AG is looking for and also that experience, you know. Um, for each one of these transfers, if you kind of look at it closely, they each play in a position that, um, allows the, the newer guys and the younger guys to kind of develop underneath them. So whether that's, you know, Molly and um, Lynn Greer, who, who Durs will get into being under, you know, Elijah and Kobe for a bit. And then, you know, Duran and, and Caleb um, being underneath Kamara and, and Rich and Zimmy and some of those guys. So it seems like he definitely uh, structured this roster to have some of the new and younger guys slide in or at least learn from some guys who've been in the, uh, in the game a little bit longer. Yeah, there's just a young roster right now, man. Um, I think that's what makes people nervous. And I think we're about to see a lot of preseason predictions that have the Flyers a lot lower than people might want them to see. And it's for a lot of the reasons that we're talking about right now. There's a lot of unproven guys, a lot of young guys without, uh, you know, real game experience at the college level. And 
you know, Kamara is a guy that, like I said, I'm excited about because he has had that experience. Uh, I believe he's started somewhere around like 50 games um, or like 45 games for Georgia. And the highlight of that career was a couple weeks before the season was over. He put 23, 22 points uh, on LSU, who, you know, they were they were good. They were in the tournament. They were battling with Alabama into the SEC title game on that selection Sunday. You know, LSU was no joke. And uh, Kamara lit him up, you know, 22 points and 10 rebounds against a team like that. It basically, you know, I think listeners can understand what I'm getting at right now. It highlights that the dude can play. Um, but there's I know you're excited about some other guys on the roster, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, no, obviously Kamara's going to be very good and, and him with six other new guys is you know a lot of unknowns, but also, I mean, from a returning perspective, I think there's also a lot of unknowns and you know, we returned six guys and, you know, let's be honest for the most part, they didn't get a whole lot of minutes last year. If I look at who returned, you know, you could argue Moose is probably the one with the most minutes. I know yeah. he was coming on late. RJ had a few games, but you know, Weaver, um, you know, Kobe, you know, Sissoko or, you know, question mark especially Sissoko but I know I'm just excited to see Kobe with a Y and Kobe with an E you know playing together <laughs> I think that'll be electric but in terms of the in terms of the freshman coming in um, I mean Duran Holmes um, you know he's the he's the highest rated recruits that Dayton's ever landed you know uh, in Arizona you know player of the kid um, you know in high school you know close to a five-star you know recruit top 50 kid yep. uh, you know there I think there's just gonna be a ton of ton of hype around him I think he's gonna produce early I think him and Kamara, you know, can be a, a very dangerous, you know, front court. Then you mix in, you know, Zimmy and Moose and, and and RJ, and I mean, that's just so much versatility and depth and athleticism that you know, I, I really think AG can throw out so many different combinations from these thir- these you know thirteen guys. And looking at the other freshmen, you know, you got Lynn Greer who went to a prep school for a year, so you know, he, while he's a freshman, you know, he has an extra year. I think he will. I think we're very good. His dad played at Temple. Uh, his dad lit up Dayton a couple of times. So let's hope, you know, he could be as good as his dad was in the A-10. Um, you know, and then if you look at Molly and uh, Caleb Washington, both of them were also highly rated out of high school. Caleb's also another, you know, six, seven forward. Uh, seems like Dayton has a, a full roster of those guys. And then and Molly is Scoochie's brother. So, you know, uh, of course, you know, many of the Flyers fans are going to know him. So I think overall, AG and team did an awesome job kind of creating this roster. Uh, I, I really hope you know majority of them can stick together. The challenge is with the with the transfer rules of college basketball. You know, it's going to be hard to keep thirteen guys healthy. I mean, ha- healthy and happy. Healthy uh, and happy. It's yeah. going to be difficult to keep them together. You know, for a consistent you know for a long period of time. So we'll, we'll see how AG can uh, can make this work. Yeah, man, and and uh, we wouldn't be yin and yang if you you know you're always a glass half full kind of guy, and I'm I'd be the first to remind people that while there is optimism surrounding this season and how many guys are going to be able to move into the rotation, and just like Durst said, um, I think there's going to be a lot of different combinations: Dayton playing small, playing fast, or going into a traditional five set. Um, you know, I, I think that that's going to lend itself to unknowns but on the downside is that we're probably going to see some guys january february they're no longer getting playing time and of course we all know where that leads to in today's college basketball there's going to be transfers from this team next year i think that is absolutely inevitable because there's 13 guys on scholarship it's a full team and some of those guys are not going to be happy and frankly i think we've talked about this before Redshirting is kind of going to become a thing of the past, and especially because you don't have to sit out if you're transferring right now. Now, they might amend that rule, but as of right now, they have not. 
So Jeff, I don't think I'm saying anything new to people to just say that while there's definitely room for optimism in this team to kind of grow into a complete unknown, but it, it could be great. I think that the end product at the end of the season, if we see success or not, is going to be multiple guys transferring just because Durr said it's hard to keep everybody happy and healthy, right? Yeah, I think it's unrealistic to think otherwise. And, um, you know, the success of this team will be the development of some of the new guys, how they all gel together. I think, you know, obviously every team went through it, but last year was tough on the squad, just not having those summer workouts really uh, together, not being on campus. Um, and obviously a, a few other factors that went into that roster construction and just, you know, general, um, you know, gelling of that team. But now AG's got the whole whole team together on campus by now. Uh, Kobe was the last one finishing up his trimester um, at, at, at DePaul um, in June, early June. But so everyone's on campus now. And, um, you know, I think the success of this team really goes with how, uh, how AG kind of figures out all the, pu- the puzzle pieces and the right combination of players, and the right combination of experience first, first uh, youth there. So, um, you know, one thing that Durs and I have talked about a little bit uh, off on the side is really understanding what the future of high school recruiting um, with the new transfer rules even starts to look like. There's been you know, many coaches that have kind of said under the, you know, the shadow of, um, you know, being anonymous is that, hey, we're not even going to be targeting many high school, high school kids. It's not worth us to to put our time and effort and go through all the ringer of, of recruiting kids and going on the road and doing all that. And then putting our time and effort into developing them only for them to, you know, go to another school after a year or two. So That's a, great point. Uh, a lot of, a lot of coaches are even taking the, um, the approach of let, you know, let some of those lower mid-major schools develop those kids and recruit them. And then, you know, we'll come in and, and, and try to find a, a spot for them. And from a transfer perspective. So I'm assuming that's going to happen to a school like Dayton. We'll probably see some kids if they really explode, possibly transfer up to bigger schools. Um, and I'm sure we'll find kids that are at bigger schools and get replaced by those transfers dropping down. So yeah, we're going to get them know, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds obviously a little grim for a mid-major or whatever you want to call Dayton at this point, but not I think there's going to be a lot. Not <laughs> mid-major, exactly. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of fluidity um, across the board, and of course, you know, AG's already been targeting you know t- um, recruits in 2022 and 2023 out of high school. Um, you know, and you've got quite a, a laundry list of offers out there and interest out there right now. So. You know, I don't foresee that slowing down immediately, but um, definitely could would be interesting to to monitor over the the next two to three years. Yeah, you're right. I could just see how the the landscape would change and mid-major programs would almost become like feeder JV programs into the UCLA's and the UK's and Duke and UNC, you know. Um, And so I, I can definitely see that shift happening. But I think we talked about it on the front half of the show tonight is that the knife is going to cut both ways for Dayton in a lot of these situations. Um, We talk about all the time on this program in circles that Dayton's sandwiched right in between the middle of big programs and mid-majors. And so everything that's happening in college athletics, and it's a good place to kind of bookend the show tonight, is going to cut both ways for Dayton. Like you said, there's going to be guys that transfer out because they're not getting enough time. 
but we're going to find guys at the mid-major level that want to take a step up to a program like Dayton. Um, are we going to lose guys that have bigger money opportunities at bigger schools? Yeah, but Dayton has money to offer that other schools in our conference don't as far as sponsorships and NIL opportunities. And so, you know, that knife is going to cut positively for us in the the one one team town. Um, with that said, gentlemen, it, it wouldn't be an appearance on the show if we didn't end it uh, before we get to a, a song to close it out tonight with our season predictions. It's July. The season's still good ways off. I believe 100 days or 100-ish days. But uh, we always put our predictions right here on the airwaves uh, to be held accountable. So there's I'll let you go first. Uh, we're going to work off of the, what, the 31 game schedule. And then you can give us your outcomes in the A-10 tournament, as well as if the Flyers go dancing this year. Well, this is tough. I'm going off one Molly Smith jump shot. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean. I feel like this is a good place to start to show up again. Because the TBT's got to happen. There's months and months to, to, uh, to speculate. And we'll go back and forth about it many times. But here we are, man. It's, you know, first episode, July 8th of the new year. Um, you know, we got to start somewhere. So, I mean, non-con wise, it's it's turning to be a, I think a challenging non-con. I mean, you look at who they're playing in Orlando, you mix in SMU, you mix in Virginia Tech now, who's apparently going to be a top 25 team preseason. Uh, so it's going to be pretty tough from a non-con perspective. So I'd say if we can get to double-digit wins in non-con with this young team, that's a, that's a win in my book. You know, and then fast forward to A-10 play. Uh, from an A-10 perspective, you know, Richmond returned a lot. VCU's done now without bones. Uh, SLU is, is going to be SLU. You know, who knows who? I know French and a couple others left. Uh, but I don't see a reason why Dayton couldn't finish top four in the A-10 when it's all said and done. So uh, put me down for uh, 23 and uh, 7, 23 and 8, however it shakes out. 23 and, and 8. Uh, we got 31 games this year. Top, top four in the A-10. And, and let's see if this young roster can uh, – you know, can gel pretty well when March comes and uh, I guess get some momentum going into uh, hopefully, I guess, a couple years with this with this core. Jeff, what do you got, man? 31 games. What are you thinking? Yeah, you know, very similar to what Thurs was saying. Um, still some question marks on the, the non-con schedule. I think we've got, you know, six games or so that we've got left to fill um, with the recent addition of Virginia Tech, uh, the carryover from SMU and Ole Miss. Um, you know, Virginia Tech's going to be a top 25 team, borderline top 25 team um, coming into the season. We'll see where they're at when we, you know, play them, you know, eight or nine weeks in the season on December 12th. Um, and, and just as we've been on this uh, on this pod today, uh, SMU is returning their, their leading scorer. We just saw he took his name out of the uh, the. You hitting everybody with breaking news, end of the show? Wow. Breaking news. If you stuck around a full show tonight, you would have learned that uh, Kendrick Davis is coming back for SMU, their their best point scorer. Now, I mean, if you're you're, sure with me, I I was going to put another part of the program and then we, you know, we start going and then, you know, we're at time. But hey, you know, if you're really plugged into college hoops, first of all, you might have seen it. But second of all, if you're all the way to the end of the show, we broke that news. I mean, we were recording on Wednesday night, and it just happened to come across on Wednesday night. But Durs <laughs> always has his finger on the trigger. So. Absolutely. Back to the, uh, back yeah, to the but, prediction. Yeah, but to finish the thought, um, you know, I'm thinking, uh, like we say every year, you know, it, there's no reason Dayton shouldn't finish in the top four of conference. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we were – that was thrown in, our, thrown in our face a little bit last year, um, you know, given how some of the season season went. Um, Slow will always be there. I agree. VCU – you know, appears to be kind of 
hurting this year, but again, they, they always find a way to, to get into the mix. And then of yeah, course, um, Bonnie's are going to be a top, probably a top 20 team. Um, they're turning the all five starters, uh, right at the be right at the beginning of the, um, of the season there. So definitely top four in the A-10, uh, and we'll be right on, right on that bubble. I think again, unfortunately this year, a few things go our right way. Um, I definitely see us being able to play our way into the tournament. 31 games. How many wins, Jeff? 31 games. I'm going to go with 26 wins. 26 wow. wins. Wow. Okay. Man, so yeah, 26 wins. Exactly. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sitting here now putting putting the nuts on the table, as they say. So let's <laughs> see when it comes all, all said and done. <laughs> That's bullish. That is bullish. I have actually put that on a post-it note right here in the Talking Out Loud studios, and it will remain there uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know what, guys? I'll... I'll change my prediction many times on on my own show as it goes, but um, I'm going to go actually a win better than Durs. I think the Flyers end up 24 and seven, and they're right on the bubble, squarely on the bubble, heading into the A10 tournament. Because we always say 23, 24 wins. That's like right around where you need to be. That's what I'm going with right now, and that's on July 8th uh, for the first Talking Out Loud show. Back to you for the summertime uh, next week because of, like I said, the beginning of the show, scheduling conflicts. Couldn't have Joey Gruden on, who's my favorite to talk TBT. TBT is coming up in a couple weeks. So next Thursday, we're going to be talking to the guys of the TBT. Unsure who I'm going to get on the show, but I know at least uh, I'll have my man, Joey. Don't call me John Gruden. Uh, if you stuck around all the way to the end of the show, I salute you. Thanks for doing it. Uh, on behalf of Blackburn and Ricky uh, and Jeff and Durs, you know, I'm Sully. There's two rules. Uh, and before I do that, I'll let you know that I'm taking you out tonight with the boys are back in town by Thin Lizzy because the boys are indeed back in town bringing you a new show every Thursday. That's all we got. Wear red. Be loud. Catch you next week. Guess who just got back today? Them wild night boys that had been away. Haven't changed, had much to say But man, I still think them cats are crazy They were asking if you were around How you was, where you could be found I Told them you were living downtown Driving all the old men crazy Shaking what she'd got Man, when I tell you she was cool, she was red hot I mean she was steaming And that time over at Johnny's place Well, this chick got up and she slapped Johnny's face Man, we just fell about the place If that chick don't want to know, forget her
blood will spill And if the boys wanna fight, you better let them That you box in the corner, blasting out my favorite song The nights are getting warmer, it won't be long Won't be long till summer comes Now that the boys are here again 